good morning, living water. How's everybody doing? You know, the word says, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I am super glad to be here this morning. Um, I always set my clock for, not clock like David said last week, a week early, but I will go through the house early on Saturday and start changing clocks ahead so I can start programming my brain that I need to go to bed earlier. So I woke up great this morning. I woke up actually earlier than I expected to wake up. So I don't know about the rest of you guys, uh, but I am glad that you're here today. I trust that you won't fall asleep during the sermon. At least I hope that you won't fall asleep during the sermon. Um, it's good to be in God's house today. As Pastor David said, open your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and the title of the message this morning, we're focusing on the I am statements of Jesus, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And as you're turning there, let me ask you this question, just something to ponder and think about. What would you do if you knew that it was impossible for you to die? Physically speaking, if you knew that you could just go out and do anything in the world and you didn't have the fear of death, what would you, what would you do with that? Would you take that cruise? You know, I know some people that are scared to get on a cruise ship because that's a long way to swim if it titanics on you. You know what I mean? Would you get in that airplane and fly? I know people that are scared to fly. Well, here's one for you. Would you jump out of a perfectly good working airplane with a parachute on your back? I like to think that I'd wrestle an alligator. I watch those guys, and I think it's so cool to get jump on those guys. And, uh, but there's something that keeps me from doing that. It's the fear of being mauled to death. And so just think about that. If you knew you could do anything in the world and not die, what would you do? What would life be like? Well, I've got some bad news for you. I can't make that promise because we live in a fallen world. And uh, one of the consequences of a fallen world is death. We will all experience death at some point. Now, there will be some that are living when Christ returns, and they'll have the benefit of being transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, um, and they won't experience death. But for the rest of us, we'll experience death. Or for those that are, that are not there when Christ returns, they'll experience death. And so death is a reality that we all face. Yet Jesus, in this passage today, says, those who live in me and believe in me will never, ever Die. So I want to explore uh, that statement this morning uh, as we look at this declaration that Jesus makes, I am the resurrection and the life. I love this passage because, so what, what we're doing is we're looking at the seven I am statements of Christ. He makes these declarations and in each one of these he's revealing his character, he's revealing his nature, he's letting us get to know him. Um, he's showing his deity, he's revealing that to us, and he's also showing humanity's deepest needs and how he meets those needs. And so he says, I'm the bread of life, he's the only one that can fill us up. I mean, there's a hole in us that we try to fill with all the things of the world. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm the one that truly nourishes you, I'm the one that sustains you, I'm the one that fills you, I can, I and only I can satisfy you. He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the only one that illuminates the way. I show you a path in the darkness. I can lead your life if you follow me, right? I dispel the darkness. I'm the only one that can open the eyes of the blind. I am the light of the world. I'm the gate. The only way to get to the sheepfold is through me. I am the only way to the Father. He's making these declarations, right? I'm the good shepherd. And like all the other shepherds that would tuck tail and run, when danger comes their way, Jesus says, no, no, no. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And he said, I will lay my life down for you. And it speaks of the atonement of Jesus. So every one of these statements are just revealing to us who Jesus is. And that's what John wants, right? John's purpose in writing the letter, the gospel of John, is that you may know, that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life in his name. 
So John wants us to know who Jesus is. Jesus wants us to know who he is. And I love that, that God doesn't just leave us here on this earth to figure it out, but he's revealed his character, his identity to us in his word. Isn't that cool? So today, um, this story, uh, the verses that we will read, lead to this climactic miracle of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it's a long passage, so we won't read it all, but we'll kind of reference some things um, here on out. And so uh, verse 17 is where we'll start today. But I just want you to know that in this passage, this story, Jesus steps into one of humanity's deepest griefs, uh, the loss of a loved one. We know all too well how, how hard that is to go through life and experience the loss of a loved one. And Jesus steps into that greatest need of the people um, in this declaration and in this miracle. And so I would like to look at three different ways that Jesus demonstrates his genuine care for people. Because while we're looking at the deity of Christ, we know that he was 100% human too, right? Fully God and fully man. And to know that he walked among us and that he displayed his deity and that he loved us um, is just amazing to me. So we'll look at his coming, we'll look at his claim, and then we'll look at his compassion um, there in those verses. So verse 17, let's just uh, start with that verse. It says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany. So Bethany was like 1.7 miles just down from Jerusalem. Not down as in south, but in elevation, it's down from there. And it was the home of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now later, uh, Mary would wipe the feet of Jesus with this very expensive oil and perfume, and she would wipe her, uh, his feet with her hair. And I think it's interesting because it follows the miracle of raising her brother from the dead, and it just adds that much more uniqueness and, and, and worship, if you will, um, to that moment there. But it's Mary and Martha and the brother Lazarus. And it said Lazarus had been in his grave for four days. So four days, Lazarus is in the grave. He had died and Verse 18, it says, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and uh, Martha in their loss. And so because Bethany was so close to Jerusalem, uh, there were a lot of people, and Lazarus and this family was well-known. There were a lot of people there that were honoring Lazarus and that were mourning and grieving with the family as Lazarus had passed away. So the question I have for immediately is, why the delay, Jesus Jesus could raise him. Jesus knows he's going to do that. But Jesus tarried for a while when he heard the news that Lazarus was sick. So if you go back to the beginning of that chapter, it says um, he got word from messengers. So Jesus, at the end of chapter 10, tells us that he was beyond the Jordan River near the place where John the Baptist um, had stayed and was baptizing people. And so he was a ways away from the family when Lazarus gets sick. And so these messengers were sent by Mary and Martha to go find Jesus. And they said, hey, Jesus, Lazarus, this guy that you love is really, really sick. And you should probably go see him, right? I'm not sure that they said that or not, but they just want to make sure Jesus got the message. Lazarus was sick. Um, and it says so, but Jesus heard about this. He says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of Man or Son of God will receive glory from this, and says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was at for the next two days. Finally, he said, let's go back to Judea. Um, and then, of course, he knows uh, because he's omniscient that way that Lazarus has already died. Um, he says, no, it's time to go back and be with the family. And so the question is, why the delay? And there's a couple things there that I want to make sure that we know, culturally speaking, um, 
the people that were gathered there, there was this thing called Shiva, and it means seven in Hebrew. And so it was customary for them for seven days to mourn the loss of loved ones. And so they would hire, even the poorest family would hire like a flute player and a mourner, a professional mourner, right, would show up at your house and they would just wail and mourn the loss of loved ones. Kind of weird, right? With our culture, it's just different. But for seven days, this went on, and they would hang out with the family, and they would sit with them, and the family would sit as everyone else just gathered around them and mourned with them. And so there were a lot of people there, and I think this is cool and significant because it's going to set up this epic miracle that a lot of people would witness and see with their own eyes, but Jesus isn't there. A lot of people are there, but Jesus is not there yet. Now, I think that there's another reason that um, he wasn't there yet, and it's a superstition that the Jewish people had that when someone died, the spirit of that person hovered above the body for like three days. And in that three days, it could come back into the body and they could be resuscitated. But after three days, they believed there was no chance at resuscitation there. Lazarus is dead for four days when Jesus gets back to Bethany with the family. I think that's significant because he's about to prove that he is the resurrection and the life, right? So he's not there yet, uh, but he, he shows up. He comes, and um, all these people are there, and there's this superstition thing going on. Jesus was a, a ways away, so it took time to get there, but he did come. And here's what I think we need to know from this. God is in control, and he loves us more than we can understand, Sometimes we don't understand his ways. Sometimes we're like, God, where are you at when it hurts? Um, I feel like you're not with me during this season, but we need to know this means that God knows what he's doing even when he delays. Amen? Because he's not working on his or our timing. He's working on his timing. And so um, for things that they didn't understand yet, he is not there when they needed him the most. And so why was he not there? Well, I read it. So let me go back and look at it again. It says in verse 4, he says this, <clears throat> after being told that Lazarus was sick, he said, hey, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. Well, Lazarus, Lazarus did die, but he says, no, no, it won't end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, this is not talking about Jesus getting an attaboy or a bunch of applause when he raises Lazarus from the dead, but he's going to emphatically demonstrate who he is, his character, his nature, his power over even death. And in doing that, people are going to come to believe that he is who he's been claiming that he is. Amen? They're like, man, this is obviously the Messiah because of what he does. And when people grow to know him more and more, they begin to trust him more and more. And it brings glory to God. He says, oh, no, 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 there's a big purpose in what I'm about to do. It's going to be for the glory of God. How many of you know God's glorified whenever Jesus is understood as who he is and received and believed in and trusted in? Right? So, so his coming, he came, and when it might seem like he was a little late from their perspective, God's timing is always perfect. Man, I wish God worked on my time clock, but he doesn't. I don't know how many times I said, God, any minute now. And God's like, all right, well, let me remind you, Shane, that a day is like a thousand years to me. So you say a minute, Right? And we just expect God to work on our timing, but his timing is always perfect, and we need to trust him and know that he's got a plan and he's in full control. So verse um, 20, let's look at his claim. This is the, the, the kind of the, the big idea of what we're talking about in this series, these declarations of Jesus. So it says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. 
Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I've said in the past that I believe this was Martha throwing a little shade at Jesus. And I think that that might possibly be there. But as I looked a little deeper and just considered what she says next, I don't think it was that. I think that this is her grief um, coupled together with her faith. And in her grief, she's hurting, and, but she's also demonstrating, Jesus, we know you. And we know what you've already done in the past. I mean, just a few months ago, you healed this man who was born blind. You, you've healed other people who had sicknesses. Jesus, we know that if you had been here, that our brother would not have died because you would have healed him. So she's making this declaration, this statement. Lord, we know that if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But she says this, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Some are saying she believes it. All right, he'll, he'll raise him now if you want, but it doesn't really jive with the rest of the text because later when Jesus says, all right, roll away the stone, she's like, no, no, hold up. He's been in there four days, and by now he probably stinks. Uh, I used to say, um, I think if he stinketh, right? At this point, it's probably not a good idea. So I don't think... She was expecting Jesus at that moment to raise Lazarus, her brother, from the dead. But she was demonstrating, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I know that you're the Messiah. So Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. The word again is not in the Greek. So it's like Jesus is saying, hey, your brother is about to rise. Your, your brother is going to rise. And so she answers with a, the standard answer and that everybody believed in the Old Testament view. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Many of the Jewish people believed in a bodily, physical resurrection, except for a group called the Sadducees, and that's why they were sad, you see, because they did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but most of them believed in a resurrection, and she just says, hey, I know that he's going to be raised again um, at the end, in the last days. And then Jesus gives us this statement, and I want us to be careful not to miss, because it looks like he's just repeating, it's redundant, uh, but there are actually two sentences here um, that I think are very important for us to grab today. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Some transcripts don't say life, but I am the resurrection. I am. The resurrection. You're talking about in the last days there will be a resurrection of the dead. Let me just tell you, I'm the source of that. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So those who believe in me, while they may experience a physical death, I just want you to know that because they're believing me, they will live even after they die. I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of hope in this life because we know that this life is temporary. And a lot of people are asking the question, what happens when we die? Is there hope beyond the grave? Jesus says, hey, those who believe in me, you got something to look forward to because they will live again. I will raise them up. That's encouraging, isn't it? So Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Um, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So there's this hope of life beyond death. Paul hits on this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or who have died in Christ. He goes on to say that at the shout uh, of Jesus, the trumpet sound, that the dead in Christ will rise from their graves and they'll be reunited with Jesus in there. So we have this great hope that all of our loved ones who've placed their faith in Jesus that have passed on. And my hope personally is to know that if I should die tomorrow, that one day I will see Jesus. Job said it early on. He says, I know that, I will, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will, I will stand with him on that day. Isn't that cool? To just have that hope and that confidence that there's life beyond death. She's saying, I, Jesus is saying, I am, which is basically saying, deity, I am God. I'm the great I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He's making this statement of deity. He says, I am the source of that resurrection. 
I'm the, the way that it's going to happen. I am the fulfillment of, of that. It's through me that the resurrection happens. Whoever believes in me will live even after he dies. And this verse 26 is the other part. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. All right, so what does he mean? Um, those who believe in him will live even after they die. And then he says, those who live in me and believe in me will never, ever die. And he says, do you believe this, Martha? And so I'd like for us to think of a physical death and a spiritual death, right? So the key is, we live in a physical body. Go back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall over the world. A result of that is death. That's the sting of death, right? The penalty of our sins. And we know that that's a reality in this world that it's just, no, we're living. And the moment we're born, we begin dying, right? And some will live longer than others, but we just know that physically, all will die eventually, but spiritually, Jesus says, those who believe in me will never, ever die. And here's something that's very important for us to know is eternal life that we talk about. John 3, 16, for whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting eternal life. The eternal life does not begin the moment we die. The eternal life begins the moment we place our faith in Jesus. That's pretty cool, folks. Think about that for a moment. So when you say, I believe in Jesus and I'm trusting him for salvation, the Bible says that you have passed from death unto life and you now are a participant of eternal life and you will never, ever die. Now, we might die a physical death, but not a spiritual death. Now, let me make this point. Revelation chapter 20 says that death and Hades or in hell were cast into the lake of fire. And he says, this is the second death. So for those whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life, those who have not placed their faith in Jesus, they will experience a second death. But he says, no, 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 those that place their faith in me, those who believe in me and live in me, they will never, ever die. And so when you place your faith in Jesus, you immediately at that point have eternal life. That's, exci that's exciting and good news, right? So John chapter 5, Jesus, this is him earlier speaking on this. He says, I will tell you the truth. And, and we know that when Jesus is speaking He's going to tell us the truth, right? We can trust him. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have, say have, not will have. But he says, those who believe in me and listen to my message, um, they, they have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. So my friends, if you've placed your faith in Jesus today, you have eternal life. Ask the question, what if you knew that you couldn't die? What would you do? Just keep camping on that thought for a moment. It's like we have life in Jesus. He's the source of life. He's saying, listen, life is found in and only in me. I am the resurrection of life. And whoever believes in me, if you die physically, hey, guess what? There's good news. There's life after death. So you can hope there's life after death today. We don't have to grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope, but we hope in the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel, right? And in addition to that, if you place your faith in me, listen, you will never, ever die. You have eternal life. What a powerful declaration that Jesus reveals to us in this text. Now, we know from our perspective that Jesus was going from here. This is, in fact, the last I am statement that he's going to make before he goes into Jerusalem for the last time. And he's going to be in the upper room. The last two declarations are in that context. So this is on the way to the cross, which we know what happens with Jesus. He goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He himself is buried. 
And like a huge exclamation point on his deity, he says, hey, listen, if you tear down this temple, I'll build it up in three days. And they thought he was talking about a physical building. He said, no, that's my body. And so you're talking about calling your shot. Jesus is saying, hey, if you kill me, I just want you to know in three days, I'll be back. Like the original Terminator. Right? And so before that, from their perspective, this is a big deal. Lazarus is dead four days. You don't come back from four days being dead, right? Because the, the spirit is done, departed. They're already beginning the, the decomposition stuff is going on. He's like, hey, right now, it's not a good time because he's too far gone. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, watch this. I am the resurrection of life. I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Um, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Listen to her statement. Yes, Lord. She told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah. What did John say? All these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. She's like, hey, I've always known that. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. I think that's very important for us to recognize as well. Is like when we say, who is Jesus? He's more than just a man. He's more than just a good teacher, a prophet, a miracle worker. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to this world to take away the sins of the world. Through Jesus, there's salvation, eternal life. Amen? Martha says, I, I, I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And so there's the, the claim of Jesus. Um, 2 Corinthians, Paul hits on this again, speaking of the physical death and Verse 16 of chapter 4, he says, Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. And then in chapter 5, he goes into this whole um, discourse of our bodies being like an earthly tent that we live in, just temporarily. I was in the scouts for a while, and we camped out in tents. It was fun, but I would not want to live in one, right? It's a temporary dwelling place. How many know these bodies are temporary dwelling places? So some of you look in the mirror, and you're like, man, I like what I see. I like my tent. I got some bad news for you. It just gets older. And parts of your body that you didn't know could hurt start to hurt. You're like, wow, this is, you know, and you start to long for this new body and to be in the presence of the Lord. And Paul says it this way. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. We're not home yet. We're just temporarily dwelling in these tents for now, he says, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. And this is the encouragement I get. Like when we lose a loved one, we lose what we know physically as that loved one. But it's that physical tent, that temporary dwelling place that we say goodbye to. But a moment, the moment. They close their eyes and death. There's a transition. Death is just like a threshold that they step across into that eternal life. That's encouraging to me to know that we have the hope because of the gospel. And so um, let's look at the compassion of Jesus. Verse 28. It says, Then she returned to Mary, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. Um, and so I kind of feel like there's a lot of tension going on and the Jews are still trying to find Jesus to, to kill him. And so Martha probably went to Mary and whispered this in her ear, but it says that Mary got up quickly, immediately, and she went to him. And so I'm sure that caught a lot of attention. Um, and verse 30, 30 says, so Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. 
When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and she said the exact same thing her sister does. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, it says a deep anger welled up within him. He was deeply moved in his spirit. And some people are like, that's just emotional. Most of the time that's translated as just anger. What was he angry about? You think he was angry at the effects of sin on people? The destruction that it causes and the hurt, the emotional distress. And Jesus just in that moment is like, Satan, you're going to get, you're just coming. You're just coming. Because one of these days we're going to conquer death, right? What was he, what was he angry about? What, he was deeply angered. It says it welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. He was moved in his spirit. He says, where have you put him? He asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Two words, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And I love this because in this moment it shows the humanity of Jesus. And I believe it gives us a very important principle um, as Christians that when it comes to someone's suffering, we start with empathy before solutions. Jesus could have easily said, why are y'all weeping? I'm fixing to raise him from the grave. I know what I've come to do, and, and he knows, but instead of saying the solution or showing them, he took a moment and he just identified with their pain. I love that because it shows the humanity, the love, and the compassion of Jesus, our Savior. And so I think it should remind us that he's always with us and he feels our pain when we go through the struggles and the hurts. He identifies with us, and that should comfort us in our time of loss and grief. Amen? So I think that for us as followers of Christ, when someone else is going through a difficult season of life, we are so intimidated about what to say. I don't know what to say. I don't know what I should say. I, don't, I just don't know how I'm going to handle this. And sometimes the most important thing that you and I can do is just be there in the middle of someone else's grief. Amen? I, I've seen that happen in my own life. I remember saying, God, I don't know what to say. And then years later, someone said, I don't remember what you said at all. I just know that you were there with me during that season. What a beautiful reminder for us as a church, right? To show empathy to those who are going through difficult times. Jesus models this for us. He shows compassion. We also should be compassionate. It says, the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Of course, there are the other ones there. They're going, yeah, he just, you know, he's probably frustrated because he couldn't raise him from the dead. You know, he's done all these other miracles. And I'll stop there with the text and go on. Just say, we know the story. The story is he calls out Lazarus. In a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And I've heard people say before, and I think it's true, that the reason he used the word Lazarus, because if Jesus would have stepped up to a tomb and said, come forth, the whole place would have been cleared out. Because there's power in Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the source of life, right? So Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out, and he says, unwrap him and let him go. He was already prepared for burial in his burial clothes. And what a powerful, powerful declaration And then backing it up with the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Church, I want you to know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the source of eternal life. We can't get eternal life anywhere else. It is through him and only him. And why can I say that? Because he's the only one that paid the price. And he's the only one that conquered death, hell, and the grave when he came out of the tomb. Amen? And so there's life in him. So the question is, as a follow-up with this, and how do you respond to that is like, do you know him? Do you know him as the resurrection and the life? Have you placed your faith in him? He says, if you believe in me, that, that believe means pistevo in the Greek, and it doesn't mean just like to have a head knowledge, but it means to trust in, to rely on. 
I love the illustration of the wheelbarrow, right? You know, just like the wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls. How many remember that story? Um, the guy, the Grant, great Bambino, whatever his name was, he went across the Niagara Falls and he's pushing the, 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 the I just said it, wheelbarrow across the, thank you, across the, the, the chasm there. And he's like, do you believe that I can do this? Oh, yeah, you're, you're, you've done it. You're, you're great. Do you believe I can do it with somebody in the, the wheelbarrow? Yeah, you can do it, man. You're awesome. Who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? To believe in Jesus is to get in the wheelbarrow, is to trust him with your life, right? It's to say, I, I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm not trusting in my good works. My good works aren't enough. We've already demonstrated that, that my good works on my best day are like filthy rags compared to his righteousness. So my good works is not going to get me there. Religion won't get me there. But only by believing in Jesus, by trusting in him for salvation is the only way that I'm going to experience this eternal life. And so that's why you hear us say all the time, the most important decision you and I can make is to place our faith in Jesus. Because once you got Jesus, you got it all. Amen? So a follow-up to that would be this. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, I just urge you um, to, to just consider what he might be saying to your heart right now and your need for him, to trust in him for salvation. But what about for the believers? Here, here's what I take away from this. How would we live if we knew we couldn't die? What kind of lives would we live if we knew that we wouldn't die? Because we know that we have eternal life in him. I got good news for you that this body that we live in is just a temporary dwelling place. And we're not, we're not aiming for this life. Amen. We're, we're aiming for eternity. And so in that essence, if you place your faith in Christ, you won't die. So the worst thing that can happen to us is I go see Jesus sooner than maybe what I expected, right? Here's a powerful illustration of this. We were eating breakfast Tuesday morning, and uh, Jeff Stalker was talking about one of our previous staff members, Theron, um, is at First Baptist there in Borger, and there's a lady in the church there that does ministry in Ukraine. And so there's these ladies in Ukraine that she is in contact with, and they're talking back and forth. And so they get a phone call from Ukraine, right? Ukraine's getting bombed right now. And they get this phone call from Ukraine, and they're like, uh-oh, this is so-and-so from Ukraine. We need to answer the phone. What's going on? So they answer it, and they're in a prayer meeting, and they're just calling their sister in the United States to ask them if there's anything that they could pray for them for in the United States. It said, you could tell that there was like an echo in the room. It was like, where are y'all at? Oh, we're in the bomb shelter. What? Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? A bomb's going to follow them at that moment and they'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. What would you do if you knew you couldn't die? If you have eternal life, how, how, how many of you would think we could, we could live out loud? We could live with boldness, unapologetic of our faith and, and our, our, our convictions and say, you know what? Somebody puts a gun to me, the worst thing they're going to do is send me to be with the person that I want to be with. Jesus, Amen. And I don't know about you, but as you understand that there is truly life in Jesus, and the worst thing from our perspective that we could happen to us on this life is death, is to put us in the presence of God, and that's for eternity. That's good news, right? To be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord. He tells of a time when there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to eternity. Some of you young guys don't get it, but when you get old like me, you'll be like, I get it now. I'm looking forward to eternity, amen? It's the good news that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so for those who believe, so important for those who believe, even if we experience death, 
physically, we know that there's hope beyond the grave. And we know that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because he is the resurrection life, to believe in him, to live in him, is to never, ever die because eternal life begins the moment, the moment you place your faith in Jesus. Do you know that you hold today, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you now already have and hold on to eternal life? That's pretty, pretty impressive to me. Amen? I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, declaration again and you revealing just a little bit more of your character to us, your purpose uh, for us. Lord, I can only imagine just going through this life without the hope that we have in the gospel. Lord, for the many people, Lord, that we love that pass from this life and just to to know what we know through what you've revealed to us as you want us to know you, who you are. And part of knowing who you are is knowing your purpose and what you've done for us and what you are doing for us. And I just thank you for the, the hope that we have in the resurrection. Lord, for the promise, the declaration that you are our source of life. And Lord, even if we taste death, even if we experience that in this life, we know that it's only temporary for the body. Lord, our spirit is immediately at home with you. And we know that one day there will be a great resurrection. What an amazing event that must be. But Lord, we just have hope beyond this life today. And I just thank you for that hope that we don't have to aimlessly go through life wondering like those Sadducees that didn't believe in a resurrection. Well, death is the end. Lord, we know today that death is not the end because of the gospel. And Father, I thank you that our eternal life does not begin the moment we close our eyes in death, but it begins the moment we have passed from darkness into light or the moment we've placed our faith in you from death into life. We are recipients of this eternal life. And God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us right now. And God, I pray that it would just motivate us as followers of Christ to live our lives in such a way that's just daring, that it's with absolute peace in the midst of all this chaos around us, with a boldness, Lord, to stand up and proclaim what we believe and unapologetically take stands on your word. God, I pray that we could live our lives in such a way that would just make a huge impact on those around us. Father, thank you for the hope that we have, and thank you, Lord, that you are in control of it all, that you are the resurrection of life, and, Lord, that we have life in you. Thank you, Lord, that you're the source. Lord, would you just be honored in our lives? God, would you just let that become a reality to us as we go through life and we consider our purpose in life, what you do in that? Lord, you give us purpose. And to show us the urgency, Lord, of those who may not know you, that may not have placed their faith in you yet, Lord, that they could see in us, Lord, our testimony. And, Lord, that light that shines on a hill could draw them to you as well. God, we ask that you would use us for that and give us just a purpose in our life and just a passion for living and a zeal and a confidence in you because you are our resurrection and life. We believe in you. And, Lord, you say we'll never, ever die. God, thank you for that truth. Um, we ask that you would just be honored in our lives as we leave this place today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.